Amen. Would you stand with me? Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the text from verse 13. We are in this course of a study through Hebrews chapter 11, and we come to a different kind of passage today. Starting in verse 13, it says this, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Amen. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Amen. I want to speak for a few moments. Uh, 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 this is not a specific example of faith. This is just the nature of the faith that these, uh, these great men and women of God had. Would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I love you. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for the word of God. I'm asking in the next few moments, Lord, as we open that word, let it speak into our hearts and our lives. Let it touch us, Lord, and let it change us, God. Let it make us in your image, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. So as we continue in our study through Hebrews chapter 11, the author pauses for a moment to reiterate an important point he wants to make sure the reader gets what he's saying so the lesson today is not about a specific character uh, with a specific story of faith as we've seen in past weeks this is a lesson about the very nature of faith now we've seen a few examples and we've encountered some powerful stories but the author wants to make sure that we're getting the point so he ran wrestles with the answer to an important question what will you do if you live your life in faithful anticipation of a promise and it never comes to pass what if you live your life for years and years seeking a promise but you never lay your hands upon it what then the writer of hebrews says it this way these all died in faith not having received the promises. The writer of Hebrews wants to make sure that we get this powerful point. These all died in faith. The point is simple, but it has a profound truth to it. A faith that is good enough to live by is a faith that is good enough to die by. Amen? Those all, all of them, not, not, it doesn't say some of the patriarchs. It doesn't say an unlucky few. It doesn't say, you know, a portion of them, but all of them, all of these heroes of faith, all of the stories that we're going to hear, all of the things that are recorded here, all of those people died in faith, having never received the promise. A big part of the writer of Hebrews' purpose in writing the letter as a whole 
is to encourage his readers not to abandon their faith, not to settle for those things that they can see, those things that they can touch, those things that they can feel, but to put their faith in things that are unseen, that have not yet been realized. He encourages them to continually strive for things that can only be handled through faith, those promises that are just out of uh, reach, just beyond our grasp, uh, that await us somewhere in an eternal future. So he encourages them repeatedly in the letter of Hebrews to hold on, to hold fast, to not let go of their faith. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Uh, if the faith we started in is the faith we still hold at the end. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11 says, and we desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance uh, of hope unto the end. Uh, amen. We want you to hold on to it. Uh, I want you to cling to it. Uh, that full assurance of hope uh, and Keep it until you reach the very end. So now in chapter 11, he pauses to make sure that we understand what he has asked of us. And what he has asked of us is no different than what was required of these great examples of the faith. They kept the faith. They kept reaching. They kept striving. They kept pursuing a promise that they never completely came to grasp in this life. But they lived and they died in faith. Faith sharpened their vision. Faith strengthened their commitment. And faith sustained them all the way through their life. Let me tell you something this morning. Even death doesn't have the power to rob me of my faith. Even death doesn't have the ability ability to take away from me my faith. I may be too weak to speak. Uh, my body may be too far gone to even fight back against death that is coming to claim me, but mark my words, uh, none of that can ever diminish my faith. Uh, I'm living in faith, uh, and one of these days I'm going to die in faith. Amen? Not just me, but all of you. Amen. These all died in faith. That's the story of the faithful through the ages. All the faithful will die in faith because what we are living for, the promise we are striving to obtain, cannot be obtained in this life. That's why all the faithful die in faith. Because the thing that we're living for, see, we get our focus all wrong sometimes. We, 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 we get our, our, everything concerned about what's going on down here. and we, the, the sickness comes and we're praying for healing. We're praying for deliverance. And, and we're, we're fixated on but the promise that we're pursuing. Amen. And I know God heals and I believe he does. Uh, but the promise that we're pursuing uh, is out of this world. And my friend, there is a sickness unto death uh, because every one of us has to go to the other side uh, because that's where my promise is. I'm going to live in faith. 
But if the Lord says no, Brother Anderson, I'm going to keep walking by faith. Uh, if he pushes me aside my prayer request and he doesn't do the thing I'm asking him to do, if I strive for a promise uh, and I strive for a goal, then I never reach in this world. That's okay because I'm going to die in the same faith that I'm living in. Amen? The prize will never be obtained down here. And if we're not careful, we can become so fixated on what is down here that we lose sight of this simple yet powerful truth. What I am living for cannot be obtained in this life. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Amen. My promise is over over in glory land, somewhere beyond the blue, somewhere on the other side. Uh, amen. And death doesn't get victory. Uh, death doesn't get to triumph. Uh, grave doesn't get to hold me. You'll bury this body one day, but the trump of God is going to sound. Uh, and the word of God says, when that trump sounds, uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, then we which are alive and remain uh, shall be caught up together with them. I come to tell you, Amen. You need to hold fast to your faith no matter what life throws at you. No matter what life brings you. When you when you really come to grasp the priority of what the Hebrew writer is telling us, it'll it'll cause you uh that the principle will cause you to reorder your priorities. Amen. We're so focused on temporal things and on things that are quickly fading away. We we amass for ourselves treasures and possessions and those things are gonna rust and decay and they'll certainly become corrupted one day. We build homes uh, that will be outdated with the passing of time. We pour ourselves into careers uh, that will one day come to an end. Uh, Amen. If that's all you're living for, uh, if that's all you're striving for, then I come to tell you on a Sunday morning, this life is going to be mighty disappointing uh, because all the riches in the world will never satisfy the longing in your soul. All the nice possessions, all the material blessings, all the treasures you obtain, uh, all the stuff you collect uh, will in the end leave you hollow and empty. But we have a promise uh, preserved for us in glory. Amen. Undefiled uh, and uncorrupted. Uh, Rust can't touch it. Uh, Amen. The corruption of this world can't touch it. Uh, The decay of time doesn't affect it. Uh, And it's kept for us uh, in glory. That's my promise. Uh, Amen. That's my inheritance. Uh, That's my treasure. Amen. When you come to those final days, as you draw your final breath, none of what has happened, none of what you've amassed, none of what you've obtained, no title, no position, no worldly possession is going to matter on that day. The only thing that matters then is your faith. So the writer said these all died in faith, not having received the promises. <coughs> Forgive me. But having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. The faithful may have died in faith without ever receiving the promise, but it was not because they never saw the promise. They saw the promises afar off and were persuaded of them 
and even embrace them. The patriarchs may not have received the promise. They may never have become tangible to them, but they saw them in their faith. Uh, They embraced them in their faith. Uh, They were fully persuaded of the promises of God uh, in their faith, uh, even though they were as of yet unrealized. In the 34th chapter, let's try that again. In the 34th chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses has been excluded from entering the promised land because he ignored the command of God. God told him to speak to the rock. And you know the story. He smote the rock. And when he did, he broke the typology that was so important to God. And so the, the judgment was that he would not enter the promised land. But as he came to the end of his life, before he died and passed into eternity, God takes him first up to the heights of Mount Nebo and allows him to look over into the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the Mount of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judea unto the uttermost sea and the south and the plains of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed, and I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. I have caused you to see it. I want you to lay eyes on it. I want you to know, Moses, before you leave this life, there really is a promised land. There really are houses that you did not build. There really are fields that you did not plant. Those things are real. And though you're never going to lay hands on them in this life, I'm going to put you in a place where you can just see them on the horizon uh, where you can just look over into them and catch a glimpse of them amen that is somewhat the sense of the writer of hebrews in this passage they died in the faith having never received the promise but having seen them afar off would you turn to your neighbor and say god bless you now say god bless the preacher because he's got to get a drink of water and he's going to choke up here Amen. So they died in the faith. They saw the promises from afar. They caught just a glimpse of them. But they've seen enough to be convinced. They've seen enough to be fully persuaded. They've seen enough to embrace the promise, even though they'll never obtain it in this life. You have to remember here, that throughout the whole of this narrative, Abraham, this whole story started with Abraham, this passage that we're in. We talked about Abraham's faith, and we talked about Sarah, and now we're having this discussion, and then we're going to talk again about Abraham's faith. So we're in the course of this discussion about Abraham, and the whole discussion about Abraham has heaven in view. Amen. He went to a promised land, but he never possessed it. He lived in a tent instead of building a house. And his tent was his testimony that he was seeking a city, who's fa- the city with foundations whose builder and maker is 
God. Amen. The reward of your faith will never be fully realized in this life because we're living with heaven in view. Amen. We're living for a city on the other side of glory. And just like Abraham, we're reaching for a prize that is beyond the grasp of mortal man. We're striving for a promise that will only be completely realized in eternity. The actual language that the Hebrew writer uses in this verse is interesting. I'm in verse 13 or 14. Where am I at? Put it up there, please. I'm sorry. They that say such things declare plainly that they know back up to verse 13. They died in the faith, not having received the promise, having seen them far off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them. That word embraced is translated from a Greek word, uh, and it means to Greek to greet or salute. The idea being conveyed is that they died in faith, having seen the promises of God afar off and having greeted them or saluted them. The imagery of the original language is that of a seaman who is passing by his homeland on the sea. And though he is not able to go to that port of call, though he's not able to go visit his homeland, he sees it on the horizon and he salutes. He greets it. He recognizes that's home. This isn't, I'm living on a boat. I'm sailing the seven seas. But this isn't home. That's home. Amen. That's what it means when it talks about they greeted them or they embraced them. Amen. They they know that for whatever reason it's beyond my grasp right now. But I acknowledge it on the horizon of my faith. Amen. That's my home. That's where I'm going. That's what I'm living for. This is the journey I'm on. But one of these days I'm going to arrive at that port of call. One of these days I'm going to come home to my homeland. One of these days I'm going to lay a hold of it. It's a promise that exists just over the horizon of their faith. Verse 13, again, I'm going to finish it. It says, And these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. Not just Abraham, but all the faithful. David would write in Psalm 39 and 12, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were. So the psalmist said all of my fathers were strangers and pilgrims in this life. All the faithful through the ages are called to live in the same manner. We're but pilgrims and strangers in this life. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Amen. The world is not what we're living for. We're living with heaven in view. Uh, The conviction to live that way arises not from having obtained the promise, uh, but having seen the promise uh, afar off and embracing it and becoming fully persuaded of it and recognizing I'm going to live until I reach that city. Amen. I'm going to hold fast to the profession of my faith. 
and in confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims, they were emphatically saying that they had seen on the horizon of their faith a greater promise of God than what they had obtained in this world. By living as pilgrims, they were demonstrating to the whole world that they were fully persuaded that there was some better thing for them than what this world has to offer. They embraced it, and they, they saluted it, uh, and, and they, they reached for this better thing uh, by living as pilgrims as strangers. They admitted that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The final two words of that verse, on the earth, clearly contrast with the concept of in heaven. Amen. They never obtained the promise on the earth because it is an eternal promise. It's only going to be obtained in heaven. They saw heavenly things uh, from afar off and they embraced them, being fully persuaded of them, which caused them to live as pilgrims and strangers on the earth because their allegiance was to a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. Come on, somebody. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We're looking for the city that is to come. That kingdom that the word of God says cannot be shaken. We're looking for that treasure incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. Amen. Since faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, it's altogether in line with faith that the patriarchs died as they did, having seen only afar off, having only caught a glimpse with the eyes of faith, uh, the great things that they were pursuing in faith. Amen? Things not seen. Things not realized. It's the evidence of things not seen, but it, or it's the hope for things not seen. It's the evidence. I'm going to stop right there. My brain is, somebody say, somebody pray for pastor. I don't know if I didn't sleep good last night or what, but all the synapses are not firing right. Blame it on Brother Tim, I, Sat in the wind yesterday and sun and fished and wore my body out, I guess. Please bear with me because God can take an imperfect message and reach a life, change a heart. Amen. They were like pilgrims on the journey home who finally glimpsed their homeland just over the horizon and rejoiced that they were almost home. Rejoiced that they were about to reach that city. They weren't there yet. They just seen it afar off. Maybe they topped the hill and it's it's days journey away or it's several days journey away. But suddenly the journey becomes a little easier because they recognize uh, this is what I'm living for. This I'm going to tell you what the answer is to having a happy and fulfilled life. Uh, amen. To getting through all the struggles and troubles and trials and junk of this world and not losing uh, your hope uh, and your joy. It comes in recognizing what you're living for. It comes in understanding this is what I'm living for. This is what I desire. This is what my faith sees. I'm living for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm living with heaven in view. Amen. Verse 14 says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. When the patriarchs use language like this, our author says they made it plain that the place where they were living was not their home. They treated the whole world 
like Abraham treated Canaan or like Moses viewed the wilderness. You know, Moses never saw the wilderness as his destination. I'm just passing through. I'm just pitching my tent for a little while. And when the glory cloud moves, honey, I'm packing up and moving on because this is not my home. I'm on my way to a promise. I'm not stopping to build a house here. I'm not stopping to put down roots here. I'm not stopping to invest myself here. I'm striving for a promise that is just beyond my grasp. They declared plainly. That means that they admitted it openly. Abraham lived in a tent for the whole world to see. And he was never ashamed of it. The message was consistent. His life presented a simple message. I'm living for a promise that is beyond this world. That word seek means to desire intently. This wasn't a casual seeking. This wasn't a a, 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 a casual pursuit this was the the thing that they lived their life for intently earnestly every day of their lives uh, they sought after that promise that was beyond this life they lived their lives with heaven in view all the time and finally the word country is the word for homeland they didn't just seek a country i know that's what the king james translation says it's rather it's not quite as strong and as specific as the Greek is. They, they were seeking their homeland. They were seeking their home. Oh, somebody, you need to get a hold of heaven in this house. You need to get it settled in your heart. This world, I know I say it over and over. I've said it for several weeks now. It's an old song we used to sing in church when I was just a kid. I remember sleeping under the pew and them singing, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Why? Because they've got to get it in your heart. You've got to get it settled in your mind. You've got to get it in the very, very, very center of your being. This isn't what I'm living for. I'm living for heaven. Amen. Unlike the citizens of this world, we can't settle down here. We can't become fully satisfied and content here because this world is not our home. This isn't what we were made for. This isn't what we were created for. And though we're compelled to live out our lives in this world, we live every day as strangers and pilgrims and declare openly that we're living for heaven. Somebody said, well, preacher, how come you got to, you know, you, you get Christian, you get in church and you start living, kind of, you got to live different. And the whole world, the whole world has to know that you because you declare openly. Your lifestyle, the words you say, the things you do, the places you go, the way you live declares openly to the whole world plainly that you're living for heaven. Amen? When you get that kind of a mindset, it changes everything. Nothing in this world is worth missing heaven for. Heaven is the prize, and everything else falls short. And so they acknowledged that heaven was what they were made for. Heaven was what they were living for, and they refused to settle for anything less. It should be noted also that here the Hebrew writer has switched his tense. He's been talking in the past tense, but this verse is in the present tense. And he'll go back to the past tense in the, in the next verse. But be, even though we're, we're talking about events that have taken place in the past, when the reader gets to this part about 
those that declare these kind of things say plainly that they're seeking. He makes it present tense. He includes the present church even with, with the patriarchs of, of old, with those old faithful heroes of the faith. Uh, he includes the readers of the letter. He includes you and me in with them. He lumps us all together. And he says, those that say such things, that includes you and that includes me, declare plainly that they're seeking a country. The faithful today then are just like the faithful of yesteryear. We live in the same posture. We live as pilgrims. We live as strangers. We declare along with them, this world is not my home. Amen. Verse 15 says, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Listen, they had plenty of chances. They had plenty of opportunities to abandon this journey of faith. Had they been mindful of the country that they came out of, they could have gone back to it. The words, the words been mindful, convey the idea in the Greek of habitually remembering. Had they dwelt on, had they habitually thought about, had they habitually concerned themselves with the land that they came out of, they would have found plenty of opportunities to return. We've all heard the turn of phrase that says that it's possible to become so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. You know that phrase, right? Sometimes people throw it at, at, at Christian folks and say they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us that uh, in this situation, the opposite statement is true. It's possible to become so earthly minded that you lose sight of heaven altogether. It's possible to get so caught up in this country that we're leave, leaving, uh, amen, that we, we get overcome with the opportunity to return. Had they continually dwelt on it, had they habitually remembered it, had they been, been fully invested in things down there, that had, had they lived as if that was all that there was, uh, they would have abandoned the promise and settled for the things of this world. They started out on a journey of faith. But they could have gone back had they so desired. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. When Peter instructs us as strangers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust, what he's telling us is don't be mindful of this world. Don't get caught up in everything. All the, the, Jesus said all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. That's all there is. That's what this world is. And so Peter said, don't, don't get caught up in that. Don't dwell constantly on that. You've got to live here. You've got to work here. You've got to make a life here. Amen. But don't let it become the whole of your being. Uh, amen. You've got to go to school, right? And you've got to pour yourself into it. You've got to go to work. Uh, and you've got to, Brother Tim, you've got to work. And you've got you to give yourself to your job. And Sister McCall, uh, she's married to that hospital as much as she's married to me. Amen. But all of that, that's temporal. All all of that, that's passing away. All of that, that's just for a season. Uh, but I'm living for eternity. Amen? Amen. Verse 16 says, But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he hath prepared for them a city. So they refuse to settle for the things of this world because they're living with heaven in view. And because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God. What a statement. Uh, no honor, no greater honor could ever be bestowed upon a man or a woman than this. God is not ashamed to be identified with them. As a matter of fact, to state it in the positive, God is proud to be called their God. That's the opposite of ashamed. God is proud to be called their God. He doesn't shirk away from that association. He embraces it. Uh, amen? And that continues the stream of thought that started earlier in our text. Because they're not ashamed to declare openly. Because they're not ashamed to say that they're living for that homeland. God said, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. Amen? Because they're not ashamed to be called my people. Because they're not ashamed to tell the whole world I'm living for. I, I, there's a moral ethic that I'm living for that's beyond the Constitution of the United States of America. That's beyond what the court of law says. Amen. I'm living for right. And I'm living for good. And I'm living for godly. And I'm living for holy. And I don't mind to tell anybody anywhere. Amen. This is what I'm living for. I'm not ashamed of it. And God said then I'm not going to be ashamed to be called their God. And the scripture ends this way he hath prepared for them a city amen because they're reaching for it, because they're striving for it, because that's the prize that they've set their eyes on that's the homeland that they're pursuing amen god's not going to disappoint uh, amen he has prepared a place he has prepared a city if you read the book of genesis or if you read it this year as a part of your bible reading program then you will have read the many stories of the patriarchs of the faith, these people that we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 11. If you read it, one thing will surely stand out to you. These men and women were not perfect. They made mistakes. They messed up from time to time. Read the account. You see Abraham lifted up in the New Testament called the father of the faithful. Go read the life of Abraham. Because he, he makes his fair share of mistakes. He messes up. Amen. But even though they were not faultless, even though they were not without failure, even though they, 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 were, not, they were flawed, in the end, God was not ashamed to be called their God. One writer noted that of the three main patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob was the most imperfect of them all. Yet God is called the God of Jacob many, many more times in Scripture than he's called the God of Abraham or the God of Isaac. For all of his shortcomings, Jacob had a true sense of what he was living for that, that sprang from his faith in God. And because of that, because he wasn't ashamed of God, God wasn't ashamed of him. And God was not ashamed to be called the God of Jacob. As a matter of fact, he embraced that title repeatedly. Would you stand with me? Once again this morning, I come to you with a similar message as to what I preached last week and the week before. There's hope, even for you, even for me. 
the measure of our life is not perfection. Though we strive to be perfect in the faith, we strive to be perfected. It's a process. I'm never going to get there. I hate to break it to you. I don't care how long you live. You're never going to reach perfection. But you're going to go step by step closer. You're going to have your stumbles. You're going to have your mistakes. You're going to have your faults. You're going to have your flaws. But you're striving for perfection. The scripture did not say because they were perfect. God was not ashamed to be called their God. What it said was because they declared plainly that they were living for heaven. Because they exemplified that by not putting down roots in this world, but by living their lives in tents. Because of all of that, God was not ashamed to be called their God. Yes, I understand you made mistakes. Yes, you stumbled along the way. But take heart this morning because mistakes don't have to disqualify you. Mistakes give you an opportunity. It's an opportunity to return to that land from which you came. You stumble and you fall and you mess up along the way. The devil, all of his tricks, comes at you with guilt and condemnation. But the Donnie, he'll tell you, might as well throw in the towel. You blew it. You messed up. You wrecked your witness. You ruined your faith. You, you might as well just go ahead and quit. The mistakes present to you the opportunity to turn back again to this present world. And you're free to do so. Heaven's not going to stop you. You can walk away from your faith. But heaven's still beckoning you. Come on. Reach for something beyond this life. Reach for something beyond this world. Even in your fault, even in your failure, even in your frailty, God says if you'll just reach, if you just pursue, if you just press, if you just forget those things which are behind you and press on to those things which are before, I will not be ashamed to be called your God. Because God is interested in the posture of your heart. What he's interested in is whether or not you're a stranger, a pilgrim in this world, or if you're just a resident. If you're just going back to the world or whether or not you're going to heaven. And what you do determines, or, or doesn't determine what you do exemplifies or demonstrates the direction that you're going. It shows. And so in the middle of your, if you've made a mistake this morning, you've messed up or you, you questioned your faith, in the middle of your weakest moment, in the middle of that time when doubt sits in, the enemy begins to attack you, you have an opportunity. You have two chances. On the one hand, you can turn back. That's what hell wants you to do. But on the other hand, you can make up your mind. I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep striving for that which I have not yet obtained. I'm going to keep reaching for that which is still beyond my reach. I'm going to have to go and tell somebody I'm sorry. I may have to go and apologize. I may have to get things right and get things under the blood, but I'm going to keep reaching. I'm not going to give up now. My boys, you wouldn't believe it. 
But there was a time when they couldn't walk. They're all big and strong now. But I remember, I remember when walking was a difficult thing. The baby moves from from scooting to crawling to scooting to to half scooting and half crawling and half walking and and some of them learn to walk in a whole large variety of ways but when they finally get on their feet and they finally begin to take those few feeble steps they're going to fall down and if they quit just because they fell down they'd never ever learn to walk but they keep pressing you keep encouraging them as a parent come on get up let's do it again let's try again come to daddy come to daddy bust his face in the carpet it's okay come come to daddy come to daddy you know <laughs> we just keep on why because we know you can't stop here you can't stop here this isn't the end of your growth pattern this isn't the end of your life this isn't the end this isn't your destination this isn't what you're living for you got to keep growing you got to keep reaching I feel like the Holy Ghost is reaching out in this place right now. God's calling somebody. I don't, I don't know who you are. I don't know. They're, they're, I, I, I never know from Sunday morning to Sunday morning who may be here and who may not. But I feel like God's calling somebody in this place. And he's saying, don't stop here. Don't, don't let this be the last line of your story. Don't let this be the place where you surrender your faith. Hold on. Keep reaching. Make up your mind this morning. I want to keep pursuing. Make up your mind this morning. I want to keep reaching. Make up your mind this morning. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep going after that thing which I have not yet obtained. Uh, amen. My feeble steps uh, are gonna keep carrying me in that direction. Uh, amen. I may skin my knee, or I may skin my elbow, or I may fall down and mess up, uh, but I'm gonna get back up, and I'm gonna keep reaching, and I'm gonna keep going. Uh, amen. That's the kind of attitude that God's looking for. He said, I won't be ashamed to be called your God. As a matter of fact, I'll prepare for your reward. My reward is heaven. Amen. I'd ask you this morning, I know pastor's been tongue-tangled most of the morning. Uh, my brain hasn't been functioning the way it should. But I feel like God is reaching right now. And I'm going to invite you to a place of prayer. I'm going to invite you to turn your heart towards heaven. I'm going to invite you to call out to him. And reaffirm. Some, some just need to reaffirm. This is, this is my faith. This is what I'm living for. This is what I'm dying for. This is my faith. Not of this world will turn me around. Nothing in this world is going to shake me from this. I'm holding fast to the profession of my faith. Some of you, you may have made a mistake. You may have messed up. You may, have, you may feel like the situation is hopeless. The enemy may be telling you just to toss in the towel and quit. Huh? But I hear the voice of the Spirit saying, why don't you get back up and run again? Huh? Why don't you get back up and walk again? Why don't you get back up and take another step? Huh? Your journey isn't finished yet you keep reaching i want to challenge you in faith this morning to get heaven in view get heaven in view realize what you're living for realize what you're striving for there's nothing in this world worth missing heaven for